group coming up for air to man the boats hanging on the ship's side and in the boiling splash of the water with appalling human effort match the whale's torrential struggle with the flying spears caught lashed to the boat's side gallons and gallons of blood and the sharks competing there it is the huge dying cargo then dead ready for cutting in the thick blubber to be stripped off not in sections, but as a blanket. Now as the blubber envelops the whale precisely as an orange is sometimes stripped by spiralizing it, for a moment or two the prodigious blood-dripping mass sways to and fro as if let down from the sky. Captured, hacked off, the huge necklace head of the whale, its decapitation in a whaler looked on as a precious crown, if you like, for its spermaceti, tons of oil, and soothing ambergris, oil boiled to make candles, give light in the darkness, and somewhere in the slaughter, bones for Ahab's leg, for corsets, scrimshaw trinkets, many domestic refinements and scents there in the blood and guts. The texture of the slabs is not quite felicitous for food, Melville tells us, although it was eaten by the early hunters, by the Eskimo, and by the second mate, Stubbs, on the Pequod, who attacks in a comical chapter several huge whale steaks with a personal relishing. The whaler, the exploitation of the dead beast, is not a youthful romantic adventure of bracing experience. So many of one's companions have come sulking away, address unknown, from howling creditors, accusing wives, alert policemen, beggary on shore except for a few of a sensibility refined like Melville's own, it is day and night, months, years, with the thoroughly ruined, the outcasts, the drunken and diseased, and here and there a welcome ordinary sailor of harmless eccentricity and vagrant skills. In Melville's novels before Moby Dick, to sign on for work on shipboard is soon to plot an escape no matter what the risk. The whale itself, the idea of it, does not reach its apotheosis until the imaginary voyage on the Pequod, where, of necessity, for the art of the book, the terms of the whaling life will offer a sort of advancement, an upgrading. From a chapter in Moby Dick with the title, The Advocate. Doubtless one leading reason why the world declines honoring us whalemen is this. They think that, at best, our vocation amounts to a butchering sort of business, and that when actively engaged therein, we are surrounded by all manner of defilements. Butchers we are, that is true. But butchers also, and butchers of the bloodiest badge, have been all martial commanders whom the world invariably delights to honor. What disordered slippery decks of a whale-ship are comparable to the unspeakable carrion of those battlefields from which so many soldiers return to drink in all ladies' plaudits. Then he goes on to list the advantages to mankind brought by the whaling industry, the tapers, lamps, and candles that burn round the globe, burn as before so many shrines to our glory, and the whale-ship as an instrument of exploration. For many years past, the whale-ship has been the pioneer in ferreting out the remotest and least known parts of the earth. She has explored seas and archipelagos which had no chart, where no Cook or Vancouver had ever sailed. And in what we can read as a facetious postscript, his title, 
he asserts the advantage of the pomade, the hair oil on the head of the king at his coronation, even as a head of salad. Certainly it cannot be olive oil, nor macassar oil, nor castor oil, nor bear's oil, nor train oil, nor cod liver oil. What then can it possibly be but sperm oil in its unmanufactured, unpolluted state, the sweetest of all oils? This is the mood of Moby Dick and the whaler Pequod, a death ship, but not a vessel of mundane commercial ferocity. The aim is, under Captain Ahab, only incidentally, if that, bound to fill vats with oil and return to Nantucket with household and family income. It's a voyage of arcane personal vindication, the death of the white whale in payment or vengeance for the leg he has taken from Ahab. A magical plot of great strangeness and something of the grandeur of historic kings in battle. From the Pequod, Melville does not propose an escape to islands as in his other sea novels. It is to be an intense plot and a history of the whale and whaling, given in encyclopedic detail, and written with a wild, inexhaustible language coming in a rush like waves, thereby honoring the deadly enterprise. If at my death my executors, or more properly my creditors, find any precious MSS in my desk, then there I prospectively ascribe all the honor and glory to whaling, for a whale ship was my Yale College and my Harvard. Not quite, indeed not at all, far from it. Melville is the most bookish of writers, a tireless midnight student. He has read and uses everything, Shakespeare, the Bible, Sir Thomas Brown, the epic Lusiads by the Portuguese poet Camoens, national history, marine history, natural history, Zoology. The chapter Cetology is divided into a sort of mock academic shape, the folio whale, the octavo whale, the duodecimo whale. This expansiveness of information is necessary for a public that knows little of the whale and whaling and has its source in the same instructive purpose as Zola on coal mining in Germinal. But Melville's method of information is an extravagant poetic language an exalted factuality. The finback is not gregarious. He seems a whale-hater, as some men are man-haters. Very shy, always going solitary. This leviathan seems the banished and unconquerable cane of his race, bearing for his mark that style upon his back. In the commentaries about Melville, there is considerable sentiment about sailing and the oceans, and Melville himself, as a sea-struck vagabond, a land-bred youth with a lust for wanderings. Although he didn't know it at the time, the sea was to give him his art, his occupation, but the actual romance of the landscape, the sun and the waves, the stars at night, are nearly always mixed with the brutality of life on board, and the art that saved him, the discovery of his genius, was a sort of grub street, a book a year, sometimes two and not altogether different from Macaulay's description of the writing game at the time of Dr. Johnson. Even an author whose works were established, and whose works were popular, such as author Thompson, whose seasons was in every library, such an author as Fielding, whose Pascan had had a greater run than any drama since The Beggar's Opera, was sometimes glad to obtain, by pawning his best coat, 
the means of dining on tripe at a cookshop underground, where he could wipe his hands after a greasy meal on the back of a Newfoundland dog. And Melville himself, although slaving away in a respectable house in Manhattan and in the luxuriant meadows of a pleasant town in western Massachusetts, might, in his obscure and never quite assimilated nature, have preferred life in the underground cookshop with the Newfoundland dog. New York The poet of the sea, the youthful observer of ships and enchanted islands, there's that, and Ishmael washed up in the savage's coffin, a lone survivor. And down the years, more than a century later, so much of the writer had lain submerged that poor Melville seems to come to mind when we think of this profligate benefactor of our literature. There is a forlorn accent shadowing the great energy of his thought and imagination. There is a rueful dignity in his life and personal manner, and sometimes a startling abandonment of propriety on the pages. He was not a gifted angel winging up from the streets the slums of the great metropolis Manhattan. Instead, he was as well-born as any American of his time. And yet, funds were scarce and scanty throughout his youth, and not always forthcoming for one who published ten works of fiction in eleven years, before giving up to spend nineteen years as a customs inspector down on the battery, before dying at the age of seventy-two. There have been poorer writers who died younger than Melville. Indeed, poor Melville is a sigh not only for the bill collector at the door and the neglect of his work, but also for the sense we have of a haunted and haunting man. Who was he? Godless?